Good morning, Docs Church. Guys, it's great to see you. I hope you had a great Christmas. Happy New Year. But if you are uh, new to Doxa today, my name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors. It's great to have you part of our, our family gathering today. But I mean, I, I hope it was a, uh, uh, a great Christmas where my hope and prayer for the Doxa family was that in the midst of all like the chaos and the hoopla and the extravaganza that Christmas has culturally become, that, that you were truly able to, to focus on and, and worship due to the incarnation of Jesus, which is what Christmas is all about and really what this church is all about and in our lives are all, ultimately all about. But for our family, you know, we had a, we had a great Christmas, a, a restful, worshipful Christmas. But one of the main reasons that our Christmas was so good was this, okay? So about two years ago, I noticed like there was like a pattern where my kids just started getting like gifts that had like 500 plus pieces and required like a vacation day and like an engineering degree to put together. And so I just, uh, I decided that, you know what, new rule, no more toys or gifts that have more than my fingers. Okay. And it was great. No cussing that I need to repent of, no anger management classes that I had to go to afterwards. And it was just a great one. So dads, you can take that rule. It's a, it's a great one, but I'm excited for this new year here at Doxa. All right, at the beginning of every year, the first Sunday gathering, what we, we call this gathering Vision Sunday, and here is what this is all about, okay, is, is really this is just getting us all on the same page as we walk forward together as the Doxa family into this new year, and we're going to do something a little bit different this year, that if you've been around for a while, you know that we have this one Sunday, Vision Sunday, and then we move on and jump into a book of the Bible. What we're going to do is we're going to kind of hit pause a little bit, and we're going to spend the next three weeks kind of in a Vision Sunday type series, all right? And, and we're gonna lean into what, what I have been sensing and like our elders and our leadership team has been sensing where God is leading us to in this next year. And here's how I'll set it up, okay? Um, I don't know, you know, if you don't know this, like Doxa Church has been around for right around three years. We celebrated three years at, uh, in September. And so some of you have been around here for since the very beginning, before we even had a name, a logo, a staff team, a building. And so you've, you've heard this story and you've lived it, but for those of you who are not familiar, I just want to give you kind of like the story of, of Doxa Church, okay? And I'm going to start in 2006. Don't worry, I'm not going to go like year by year. It's not going to take 40 minutes. But in 2006 is the year that I became a Christian. And God radically intervened in my life and just flipped my life upside down, kind of came in, power washed my soul, he made me new, and he really just changed so much about me, gave me a new vision for my life. And I, and I remember reading through the Bible the first month of being a Christian. And as I read through the Bible, I remember getting through it and just being in awe of the goodness of Jesus's gospel. And I, and I remember sitting there thinking and feeling like, I think I'm supposed to spend the rest of my life just teaching the Bible, raising up leaders, and helping churches, new churches, get started. And that seemed so far off because my life was just a hot mess, and I didn't know what was going to come of this, but I didn't know, have, have an idea of like what this was going to look like, but I had this vision, and I just prayed and just said, okay, God, do your thing. In 2008, I met a girl named Lisa, fell in love with this girl, told her I wanted to marry her. But I gave her the warning. I said, hey, I feel like God is calling me to be a pastor and to plant churches. So if you're going to want a Maserati and like Cancun trips, like go with the dentist, okay? Like not me, okay? But she just kind of, I just want a fair warning. This is where we're going. And she just looked at me and smiled and said, let's roll and let's do this. And so we got married in 2009, had some kids. The vision was still there, but we really were just kind of comfortable. We, our life had become pretty easy and just comfortable where we were at. 
And then in 2016, my, my son Titus was just born and he wasn't sleeping and just crying all the time. And I know some of you parents, you, you, I don't get it, but you like when your kids cry. It's like, oh, they're so cute, I wanna hold them. And like, I'm not like that, I ha- get hives, I sweat and just get angry and all this stuff. But uh, so Titus is freaking out. Lisa's like, you're freaking out, I can't have two babies. And okay, just go outside. Okay, it was the middle of the night, it was snowstorm and I'm sitting in the middle of my front yard in the snow in like a folding chair. And I had my pipe and I'm smoking my pipe and I'm like, I'm freezing but there's no baby crying. But in the midst of that, guys, I had one of the coolest fathered by God moments in my entire life. It was like, you know how like a, a dad comes to their kid and just kind of is like, hey, you wanna go on an adventure this weekend? And the kid's like, man, yeah, like where, where are we gonna go? And the dad just looks at the kid and says like, hop in the car and I'm gonna show you something awesome. And I felt like God in that moment was just inviting me to hop in the passenger seat and go and just see what he was gonna do here in Madison. And I prayed about it for weeks and just kind of every time I was praying about it, it was like Madison, Madison, Madison. And so a few weeks later, I'm sitting on the couch with Lisa, I told her that I was feeling like God is leading us to move to Madison to start a church. And so we started praying every day out loud together for weeks. And God spoke and he moved. And we just got this sense of like, this is where we're to go. And we started making plans to move forward to Madison and Doxa Church was really just started in the living room of my house in Bowling Green, Ohio with four founding members. Two that were kind of nervous and exciting, two that didn't even know they were alive yet. Okay, my little kids, okay? So they were forced into it, but they're here. But we just, we're feeling this. And so we went to our friends and we're like, hey, this is what we're gonna do. I don't know if it's gonna work. It's gonna be really hard. Do you wanna go and see what happens and give it the old college try. And they were just like, okay, cool, we'll come. And so we started moving forward and we moved into Madison. And as we prepared, guys, we were making like plans and strategizing, but above all, here's what we were doing. We were waiting for God to make a way. And we prayed. And we prayed for all of you. We prayed for leaders. We prayed for salvation. That this entire journey of of Doxa Church started And it really just began with a church in waiting that was completely dependent on God to do something special. I remember standing in the Capitol downtown, looking at this city and being like, I have no idea what is gonna happen. This is daunting. And we just prayed. And here's why I tell you this story, okay? In my times in the Bible, and in my prayer times over this last year, I've been sensing God saying this, don't lose that posture. Because I don't know about you guys, but you know, when, when, the, when you're just overwhelmed in life and like you don't know how things are gonna happen, it's really easy to lean on God. It's really easy to trust in him and pray and just depend on him. But the minute things start to go well, right? And all of a sudden the church maybe starts to grow and like the finances aren't so crazy and it looks like maybe we're gonna make it. All of a sudden I can hop from this passenger seat right into the driver's seat and be like, I got this. And I've sensed myself doing that. And I see this all the time, and in the midst of all this, I feel like God is saying, don't lose that posture as a church. In John 15, where Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing, this has been a verse that has been readily on my mind, in my heart, and on my tongue. And I just have this overarching sense that this is what our church family needs to focus on as we move forward. That above making plans and planting churches and making new ministry strategies, all those things are really good, they're really exciting, but above that, we honestly just need to be a faithful church in waiting. 
a church that is really just totally dependent on God to help us individually as we just try and walk faithfully with Jesus through the everyday stuff of life, but corporately as well as a church family who's seeking to do gospel ministry in this city to advance the kingdom of God. And so what we're gonna do is today, we're gonna look at the very first church in waiting to learn from them on how to do this well. All right, so grab your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter one, okay? Acts chapter one, as you get there, you know those scenes, do you guys have this, like those scenes in movies or TV shows that you just love and you watch like over and over and over again? Do you guys have those? Like for me, it's like the, the end of Avengers Endgame with the epic battle, right? It's specifically when Captain Marvel shows up, you know, and like she's like, we got this. And then all of a sudden the Wakanda woman's like, she's not alone. And then Wasp shows up and she does that cool thing with her wrist. I just cry. Like, I don't even understand why I get so emotional. But my kids and I have watched this for like 40 times. I don't know. Or maybe it's like the, the chili scene in the office where Kevin drops the chili. Whatever. We got those scenes that we just like watching it over and over and over again. Guys, this is Acts 1 for me. All right? We preached through this two years ago. And God profoundly impacted me with it. All right? But here's the context in Acts. All right? Chapter 1. Acts is really just the chronicle of the spreading flame, the spreading flame of the gospel of Jesus and his church. And really throughout Acts, we watch how the flame of the gospel has spread all around the world throughout human history in such a way that it's actually ignited us so much so that we're sitting here in Madison, Wisconsin, anticipating that God is not done because we're not dead, that he's moving and he wants to do something great. And here in Acts chapter one, Jesus had been killed, he resurrected, and then he ascended into heaven, and there was just this great sense of expectancy and anticipation in the church that God is going to do something great. And in the midst of this excitement and this expectancy, Jesus, he, he says, I am. I'm going to do something amazing, but before that, you just need to wait. This is Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. And he says, I'm going to move and do great things, but I want you to go to Jerusalem, and I just want you to wait. And for me, I was trying to put myself in like how I feel. It's like when I was a little kid, right, when mom and dad, in the weeks leading up to Christmas, they're like, I got you something amazing for Christmas. You're like, really? What'd you get me? Oh, you're going to have to wait, right? And it's just like this, this terrible, ex like exciting waiting process that something is coming, but you just got to wait. That's Acts chapter 1. This is what's going on. We got to wait. This is how these people are feeling, and honestly, this is how I'm feeling when I consider Doxa Church. This expectancy of waiting for God to move. And so let's learn what it looks like to be a faithful church in waiting. Acts chapter 1, verse 12 is where we're going to start. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room. Where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of persons was in all about 120, and he said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Verse 17. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share to his ministry. 
Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out, and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, to, so that the field was called in their own language, that word, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, and also was called Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go his own place. They cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Okay, so here is what we're seeing. Guys, we're watching God's people in waiting. And as they wait with expectancy, they do three specific things that I believe are timeless and timely principles and patterns that need to mark all of our lives individually, but our church corporately. And I'll go as far as to say that these three things are really things that I think position God's people to experience God doing great things in their midst. And since we want this as a church family, we need to learn today. All right, this is what Vision Sunday is all about. And so let's get into this. Three things God's people do as they wait for God to do great things and move. If you look back to verses 12 through 14, the first thing they do as they wait for God to move is they gather. All right, they just gather. Now this is pretty basic, but at this point in human history, Jesus, he says he's God. He shows it by raising from the dead. He appears to his early followers. He gives them the biggest mission in the history of the world, and he tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit's power, Acts 1.8. And then he ascends back into heaven, and Luke tells us that they go to Jerusalem to wait just as Jesus told them to, and they gather together in the upper room. Now, as we consider this basic gathering, all right, I want to point out a few things that I pray God will allow to be true of Doxa Church. And the first one is this. As they're gathered, their primary objective was to worship. Look at verse 14. They were devoting themselves to prayer. Well, what is prayer? Prayer is just communication and communion with God. Then verse 16, they have the scriptures open and they're listening to God's words. Guys, this is a beautiful picture of worship. Now hear, hear this, they weren't there to be entertained. They were there to worship God. It wasn't just like an entertaining thing where you're like, give me a great sermon, give me, the band better be on point, the sound, they were there to worship God. They didn't have a cool space to sit in, they didn't have lights, they didn't have moderately bad coffee, right, they didn't have a good band, they didn't have any of that. It was just God's people with God's word and they were worshiping God in their midst. And so worship literally means to ascribe worth to. And so true worship is valuing or treasuring God above all things. This is what we are created for. Here's how a man named Louis Giglio puts it, and I quote, he said, worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who he is and what he has done, expressed in and by the things we say and the way that we live. This is worship. And to that, John Piper adds, worship is what we are created for. 
This is the final end of all existence, the worship of God. God created the universe so that it would display the worth of his glory. And he created us so that we would see this glory and reflect it by knowing and loving it with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. The church needs to build a common vision of what worship is and what she is gathering to do on Sunday morning and scattering to do on Monday morning. This is big. This is the vision. It's gotta be, it's about worship. It's about Jesus over everything. And so this early church, 120 people that are following Jesus, loving Jesus, the first thing they do is they gather together and they worship. And Doxa, this is ultimately what our church needs to be about. Above everything, that we worship and honor Jesus above everything. And so in our preaching, in our practices, in our songs, in our systems, in our strategies, in our lives, in our families, in our careers, above all, we are worshipers of Jesus. That he is the most significant one, the most significant thing in all of our lives. And his glory, his cross, his forgiveness, his love, his mercy, his salvation, his resurrection is why we worship through song and with our daily lives as we just walk. We worship. This church in waiting worshiped God together. They treasured God. And may this be true of our church. Jesus over everything. The second thing that they did as they gathered was they walked as a family together. And this might not be like abundantly clear from this text, but look back, verse 12, they journeyed together. Verse 13, they entered together and stayed together. Verse 14, they were of one accord. Verse 17 through 26, they navigated life and the problems that that come up in life together. Because here's the point, the church is the family of God. And you know this, right? I'm not trying to be condescending, but it's not a building. It's not a destination, but it's a family. That Jesus has come, he has died, he has risen, and through faith, he not only saves us from Satan, sin, death, and hell, but he makes us family where God is now our father and we are the children of God. And in Titus chapter two, all right, the apostle Paul shows us a beautiful truth of this family. Just listen to this. Saying, this is what Paul says. He said, Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us, did not only do this to save us from sin, but to unite and make for himself a people for his own possession, a family, but here, he's not done, who are zealous for good works. This is who we are, Doxa. That God's ultimate plan is to form a group of people, the church, who are zealous for good works. And we can say a ton, we could say a ton about what these good works are, but primarily it's this, is that the church the family of God is to love God and to love people. Now, we don't have to make it too complicated. This is what it means to be a Christian, love God and to love people, the two greatest commands that Jesus gives in Luke 10, 27. And this is Jesus' mission, which is ultimately carried out by the gathering of God's people through the church. And so this is who we are, Doxa. We are God's church who gather for the sake of Jesus' mission to continue what Jesus started, seeing people saved and redeemed by the power of God. This is what we gotta be about. We can't be about a bunch of other things, but this is it. As we be a faithful church waiting for God to move, would we love God and love people? Because if you look, if you fast forward into Acts chapter two, we see that as this early church, as they're loving God, as they're worshiping God, 
in their everyday stuff of lives, and as they're loving people both inside and outside the church, they're doing it to such an extent, and they're doing it so well that in Acts 2.47, it said that the church just like blew up, and God was adding people to the church every single day because people were looking around, and they were just seeing the love of God. I know that there's some of you, I've heard enough stories that the only reason you came back here was not to worship God, but because you found people that loved you, and it has brought you to the God. This is what was happening with these people. It's the mission of God, the family of God. The missiologist, Reggie McNeil, he says it like this, the church is the gathered people of God, partnering with God in his redemptive mission in the world. This is what we're doing. We are a family on mission, a family brought together by Jesus' saving work on the cross, together with the mission to grow the family, to help people to know and to see, to love and to follow Jesus. And again, may God cause this to be our reality here at Doxa. So we see a people that are gathered who were worshiping God, they're walking as a family on mission. The third thing about this gathering is that they were willing to follow all right, and this is a big one. All right, if you look back, they're in this upper room together. Why are they there? They're there because verse four, Jesus said to do it. He said to go there and to, to wait. And as they get there, they're trying to figure out how to make sense of what's going on and what to do. And what do they do? Look, they open the scriptures to hear God's guiding word. They wanted to hear from God and then they actually obeyed him. And I don't want to skate over this too quickly, guys, because. Christians, we, we do some weird stuff, right? Is we're, we get so good at just coming here and opening up our Bibles and maybe even circling things when I tell you to circle stuff. And, you know, and then we, we do that thing in small groups where we're like, mm, that was really good. And then we close the book and we walk away and we act like we haven't heard anything. And we don't obey. Obedience is part of a faithful Christian's life. Obedience is part of a faithful church's existence. And these people, this early church, they were willing to follow. They had an obedience that marked their life. And they were just simply like Isaiah in Isaiah 6, 8, where Isaiah comes before God and he says, here I am, Lord. Like, send me. Do it. But they didn't have just an affection and emotions for Jesus, but they had commitment and obedience towards Jesus. This is something that will mark a faithful, Jesus-loving person and a faithful, Jesus-loving church. And this is something that I pray would be true of our church. Because that we would be a family filled with worshipers. Worshiping God, walking as a family on mission, and actually willing to follow in Jesus' words, works, and ways. That would change everything. And so they gathered, and as they did this, this leads to the second big thing that they did. They gathered, but they also believed. All right, look back to verse 14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. All right, I want you to understand that these people were all together, and they stayed together. Even in the midst of being martyred and persecuted, they stayed together for one reason. They believed. They believed Jesus. They believed his gospel with all of their hearts, that they saw Jesus killed. They saw him alive again after his resurrection, and the resurrection gave them great faith, and they believed, which just led to obedience. And honestly, when we talk about the resurrection, guys, it's not difficult to see why some people are really just tempted to dismiss this record of history as nothing more than like 
an old wives' tale or folklore. And I mean, honestly, no matter how Christian you are, you have to admit that the issue of the resurrection just sounds crazy, right? And for those of you who are not Christians, or maybe you're skeptical and you're here, and you hear us talk about the resurrection, and you might say, well, man, I'm not sure about all of that. I mean, that part is really weird and strange. Here's what I'll tell you. We know, okay? We actually get it. We know that the resurrection of the dead is completely crazy, and that's why we call it a miracle. That's why we've made a holiday around it. I mean, this is kind of like our thing as Christians. Like, everything hangs on this. It's only happened once. It's a big deal. And I want you to understand that we don't just believe the resurrection because we find it interesting or compelling or just like a curious story, but because there are substantial reasons, there's historical evidences and many things both inside and outside the Bible that are very compelling when put together in a case. And one of those things here is right here in front of us. Look back with Jesus' mother Mary and his brothers. That they're gathered here in this early church and they're worshiping Jesus as God. Now, you've got to understand this, okay? Mary and Jesus' brothers, they were very devout Jewish people. And they knew that if you didn't worship the right God, and if you worship the wrong one, you're going to go to hell, so you've got to figure this out. You've got to get this right. And here's the thing. If you look back to, like, the gospel narratives, and you look throughout Jesus' life, his family kind of thought he was crazy. All right, they really did. That Jesus was going around doing ministry. He was making these claims to be God and saying, like, I'll forgive you of my, your sin. He's saying, I am, calling himself Yahweh. Like, he's making these crazy claims. And his family is watching this, and they're kind of like, somebody, we just need to find him a padded room and give him a teddy bear and just lock him up. because He's crazy, right? And they did not believe. They didn't believe until they watched him rise from death. And when the resurrection happened, Mary and Jesus' brothers were like, oh my gosh, he's God. He's conquered death. We saw him die. We saw him rise. He is who he says he is. And this was to such an extent that James and Jude, two of Jesus' brothers, went on to be pastors and write books of the Bible. And now they're here, at part of this early church, worshiping Jesus, their brother, as God. Now guys, why do they do that? Why do these devout Jewish people switch to worshiping Jesus as God? It's because he is God. He rose from death to prove it. And so they believe this. And they're together waiting just as Jesus, their God, told them to do. But not only did they believe that Jesus was God, but look back to verse 15. And this is big. They also believed the Bible was the word of God. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. And he said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David. All right, so these early Christians, they not only believed that Jesus was God, but they also believed that the scriptures, the Bible, were the very words of God. And because they had this belief, as they did what the scripture said, they believed that the words in this book were not just from man, but they were words from God to teach us what is true, to show us the way, to lead us home. And that's why Jesus says in Matthew 5, 8, that not a dot of the Bible can be ignored. And if you're newer to docs, you just need to understand that there are no parts of the Bible that we don't believe here. That we follow Jesus' words. In our frailty and our brokenness, we seek to be dependent on him so we can follow him. And we need to continue to be people 
who are rooted in God's word, who are saturated in the Bible. Because guys, I don't know if you know this, you, you for sure know this, because there are so many voices in our world today, so many voices that will try to tell you what is true about life, what is true about eternity, what is true about God. We listen to the voice of the one who created everything. And we rise above the noise and we are rooted in the scriptures. Not to just be knowledgeable, but to be obedient and to worship and to follow and to go and to give all of that love away. It's big. And so they're not just like believing Jesus is God, that this is God's word, but I think that they're believing a third thing. I think they believed that God was going to do something great in and through them. Because in this moment, guys, they didn't know what was going to happen. Like, they really didn't. But there was this anticipation that the God who raised the Lord Jesus from death is a God who could do amazing things. And these people didn't know what God was going to do, but they knew that they were part of it. Do you guys know that you're part of it? You're part of it. You're wrapped up in the story of God by the power of God. You are absolutely part of it. These people understood that they were part of it and there was this anticipation with their life, an expectancy that God would move. And these people had already seen and experienced God do amazing things. Some of you, you have stories, you've seen God do amazing things. I know them. We just had a big baptism a couple weeks ago, right? And we heard the stories of God doing amazing things. But if you just think about this, this upper room is filled with 120 people. There were people there who had been healed by Jesus. There were people there that were experienced the salvation and the hope that Jesus gives. There's people there that had been set free from demonic oppression and sin and addictions by Jesus. There were people there like Peter, who's leading this whole thing. But just not too long ago, he denied Jesus, turned his back on Jesus, and now he experienced the redemption and the forgiveness and the love of Jesus. These people there, they saw Jesus walk on water. They saw him raised from the dead. They saw him do miraculous things and they were there and they knew there is something more that God wants to do because that's what Jesus said. Go to Jerusalem and wait. Something is gonna happen. And I'll tell you guys, I believe this. There's something more that God wants to do. You're not dead, I'm not dead, so God is not done. I believe this about my life and I believe this about yours. Do you? Because this is true. I want you to know you might not have a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life to use you for his glory and the good of the world around you. And I know that some of you are here and you think that you're just here part of the show and you're looking about this, you hear like, you know, doing things and going on church plants and serving the community and you're like, I'm just here kind of like for the show, like I'm just gonna be around this. I'm, this is not me. God is gonna use other people. And maybe you think like you're too broken, you're too sinful, you don't know enough, you're not gifted enough, you haven't been a Christian long enough. I just want you to know that that is not true. God has a great plan for your life. You believe it. I absolutely believe it. I'm not good at blowing smoke, okay? I absolutely believe this. And I want you, I so desperately want you to believe this. This early church, they believe that they were wrapped up in something that God was gonna do something huge. Guys, I want you to, I want to tell you, Doxa Church is not the greatest church in the world. We're not the greatest church in this city, maybe even on the street, I don't know. But we are a church that loves Jesus. 
And he wants to do something profound through you, loving Jesus, living like him in the everyday stuff of life. As we be a faithful church in waiting and just praying that God would move, let's be like this church who believed. Let's not be like the people in Jesus' hometown in Matthew 13, right? You remember that? Jesus shows up, and because of their lack of faith, he wasn't able to do many miracles, and the movement of God was stifled. And so maybe you're here, guys, and you lack faith. Here's what I'll tell you. Be like the, the man in Mark chapter 9. Remember him? He sees Jesus, and he goes to him, he says, I, I see you, but help me. Help me with my unbelief. Ask God to do that. God has great plans. And you're part of it. We're all part of it. And so this church, they gathered, they believed, and finally, look back to verse 14, they devoted themselves to what? Prayer. Third thing they do is they, they prayed. Verse 14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. All right, and the prayer of these people here in Acts 1 falls into, into three categories, okay? It was persistent, expectant, and dependent. All right, it was persistent in the fact that they were devoting themselves to it. All right, they were crying out to God for 10 days before Pentecost. And the last verse in Luke's gospel says that they were consistently and constantly gathering in the temple and praying at this time. And so the idea is that they were all together and they were all praying persistently, that they believed so full and so fervently that they couldn't help but to cry out to Jesus. They loved Jesus, they needed Jesus, and so they talked to Jesus all the time. But it wasn't just pers persistent, it was expectant. That they had seen God do the miracle of the resurrection and the ascension, and as they prayed, they did so knowing that God wanted to do even more, because this is what Jesus says in John chapter 14, that there's gonna be greater things. And these people believed it. And it led them to have like expectant prayer. And honestly, Doc, so this is where I get convicted every time I think about this. I mean, so many times in my life, I kind of like limp into prayer. Or I think God doesn't like care. Or I go to him and I'm like, God, if you, if you can, do this. But these people, they knew they had a powerful God who did miraculous things and so they prayed with expectation. They believed and were expectant that God was gonna move and he was gonna do even more amazing things. This is what the Apostle Paul believed. We look at his radical life. Why did he have a radical life? He loved God and he was expectant. That's why he prays in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, to the God who is able. Doxa, is God able? Is he able to save and to heal and to change and to transform? Is he able? Absolutely. They were persistent and expectant, but they were also dependent. They knew what Jesus had told them in Acts 1.8, look back to verse 8. Right? Jesus said, I'm gonna, I want you to go tell the whole world that I am God, I'm alive, and I can save anybody, and I love everyone. Go and tell the whole world. They knew that they couldn't do this. I mean, they didn't have cars. They weren't like, I'll send out a chain email, right? right? They're just like, they probably hadn't been more than 50 miles away from their home. And Jesus says, go and be my witnesses to all the world. Tell them this great message. They knew that they couldn't do it. And so they prayed with a sense of dependence, and they were just like, God, Jesus, we'll, we'll do it. But help us. I'm willing to go. 
but you're going to have to give me the strength and the means and the, the direction and just make a way. And guys, here is what I continue to sense God saying to me as it relates to this in our church family. All right, listen. People in churches that are trying to do things that they can't do on their own pray a lot. People in churches that are just kind of like just existing, they're not really trying to leverage their life and their existence to do crazy things for God and step out in faith and follow them in, him in courage, they tend to not pray that much because they really don't need help. It's like, we can do this. But people in churches that are trying to do things that they can't do on their own, they pray a lot. And what we're setting out to do as a church family is not something that we can do on our own. Living like Jesus, loving, giving, sending, sharing, saving, starting churches, doxa, we are trying to change the world. Make no, ex no mistake about that. We really are. And we cannot do it on our own. Do you know that I'm not like a good enough leader and a good enough pastor and a good enough preacher and neither is David and no one on our staff team. We're not good enough. We don't have what it takes, but our Jesus does. And we look to him and we pray and we say, God, help us for your glory. And here's the thing I can't get out of my head that makes this keep playing back. Guys, as these people gathered and believed and prayed, do you know what it did? Flip your page to Acts chapter 2. It's set up Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit fell and changed the world forever. Revival happened. Awakening happened. Many people came to know Jesus, and God totally changed everything about the world. Do you want to see this in your life? Do you want to see this in your family? Do you want to see this in your kids? Do you want to see this in this city? Guys, I want to be part of this. I want to see a movement of God like that, not for my glory, but for his. We want to see this. And as you study the history of revival and awakening throughout the world and throughout history, guys, I'll tell you what, you can go back to every single big movement of God. And it starts with a small group of people gathering, believing, and just prying out to God and saying, God, move, help us. Revival happens. And this is what I'm asking God to help our church be all about. This is our vision. And so for the next few weeks, we're gonna be talking about this and we're gonna be reinforcing this. And we're gonna be talking about a persistent and a dependent life following God. And we're gonna be considering prayer and fasting and faith and obedience and seeking to understand why are these things so important to my walk with God? Why are these things so important to God moving in the midst of a bunch of people? And as we learn about this, we're gonna put this into practice. And as a church family, we're gonna do something that we've never done before. We're gonna have a week of prayer where we're gonna to gather together. We're gonna to open up this place and just every day, throughout the day, just have times where we're gathering and believing and praying. And that week of fasting, after that, we're just gonna gather and we're gonna worship. And I wanna tell you guys, this is literally just a small step in the attempt to come alongside God and create a culture. A culture of prayer and dependence for the glory of God and the good of Madison. Doc said, God is great. He's worthy. He loves us. He's done great things. And we believe that he's going to do greater things ahead. Let's be a faithful, God-honoring, Jesus-exalting 
Holy Spirit-depending church. Amen? Let me pray. God, I so desperately want to be just wrapped up and just see you move in a great way. And I thank you that I get to see that in my life every day. I get to see that as we just gather and just, we're, you're moving every day in major ways. Would you just help us to see that and be reminded of your presence and your power? But God, we, we want to see more and more people come to know Jesus. You love these people. We love these people. We want to we want to grow into the men and women that you've created us to be. We want to be like Jesus for your glory and for the good of the world around us. And we just humbly come before you and say, God, we cannot do it. I can't muster up enough in me to make me more like Jesus. I need you, Holy Spirit. So God, I just ask you to help me. Would you help us? God, there's marriages here that need your help. There's families here that need your help. There's work situations, relational things that just need help. And you are our helper. And Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would just move and empower healing. And would that just not be something that stays within the walls of this church, but God, would we see it just sweep through our city, through our state, through our country, through the world. Would you just give us the great joy of having just a front row seat to see you move in a powerful way. God, I'm here just like Isaiah saying, God, here I am. Send me. Would you help us all to have that posture, to keep that posture, to be a church with that posture? In Jesus' name.